been here that long, but about uh, uh, somewhere around 12 years ago, this was a small church on that met over uh, off of Williamson Road, across, like right around the corner from where Lowe's Food Grocery Store is, and uh, was under a different pastor at that time. And uh, then some time around there, a few years later, the church moved to uh, the building right across from where Spoon's Restaurant is. And um, there was a group of people there, pretty good church going on. And then the church kind of went through some few hardships, and the pastor that was there at the time resigned. And at that time, a lot of people uh, left the church, and there was a few families left. <laughs> there was a few, uh, five families, uh, five faithful families that were left in the church. And uh, that was about ten years ago or something like that. And then what, about eight years ago you guys came, Byron? Ten years ago. Okay, right around that same time. So the pastor resigned, of course, and then Byron and Becky moved up here from Pineville and uh, came up here to pastor the church. And we were still meeting, or the church was still meeting at that location across from Spoon's Restaurant. And then probably five or six years after that, the Lord was like, well, it's time to move on from this location. And uh, because the landlord said, it's time for you to move from this location. And so I remember that's about the time when I came into the church. And I remember kind of, you know, I didn't know people very well, but I remember kind of uh, this feeling of I don't know where we're going to go exactly. And I remember Byron said we may be meeting in a school or something like that. But uh, then the Lord took us to Parker Avenue. So, praise God. <laughs> we were at Parker Avenue, and uh, it wasn't the prettiest place, but we had faith for it, sort of. So we went there, and it was amazing what happened at Parker Avenue. There were springs of living water that were there, you know, and they just welled up. And, I mean, church growth planners would tell you, don't move to a location like that and expect to grow your church. You know, but despite that, the Lord did grow our church and it was just a tremendous time in the spirit. I remember the Steins came during that time. and A lot of other people, I'm sure, uh, the Squires, the Stepanics, a lot of other people came during that time as well. And uh, it was just a tremendous blessing to be there. And then about, what, in the year 2000, the, we were able to, well, prior to 2000, we were able to purchase this piece of property and start building. And then I think it was March of 2000. We moved into this building, and, I mean, here we are. The Lord's done tremendous things here. And then recently, we were able to put up another building, and praise God. I mean, that's just remarkable to me. And, you know, some of that's just buildings. But just think about what God's done in your life, you know, over that period of time. I mean, I could go on and on about the testimony in my life and how the Lord's used this church to bless me, but I don't want to spend the time doing that. But um, I say that to say that the Lord has tremendous blessings and opportunities in store for this church. And throughout the Bible, throughout the Old Testament, if you read, God um, consistently encouraged the leaders, whether it's Moses or, Je or, uh, or uh, help me out, people. <laughs> Joshua, sorry. Joshua, when you're up here in front of people, you just forget things like that. And, you know... All these things say, encourage them to remind the people of what I've done for you. And, you know, all the time they were like going back. Well, you see, we're in Egypt. 
You know, and then they go through the whole history of how all the miracles that God has done. Now, how many people over the past 10 years have had God do a miracle in your life? See, look at the hands around us. How many people have been saved in the past 10 years? Several people. Okay. How many people have had family members saved in the past 10 years or healed? I mean, you know, it's like we know all this stuff, but it really helps to remind us of these things, doesn't it? Well, if you'll put me up on the screen up there, I want to talk about... It's up there? Oh, i got to push the button? Okay, there's sign I have to push. Okay. There we go. Okay. Back in April, the end of April, I gave a message... And it was about that, how I felt like we were in a season of preparation. And it was called refreshment. And in that message, the main points was that we're on the threshold, or the threshold, you know, meaning like a beginning point of God's blessing. And I was just in, encouraging everybody to kind of refuse to become discouraged and disillusioned and disheartened during this season of preparation. And. And allow the Lord to refresh you by renewing your passion for Him and realizing how much He's passionate about you. And uh, then a few months ago, Byron preached a message about the seasons of life and how God takes us through things. And I'm sure we are all thinking about our church and the seasons that we've been through. And um, I just believe that, you know, just as I said, God has tremendous opportunities and blessings for you and for this church. He will open the doors, but you or we have the choice of walking across the threshold or not. We have the choice. And see, throughout the history of this church, just to go back to that example, we've had choices to make. We could say, you know what? Parker Avenue is not really known as being that great of a neighborhood necessarily, so we're going to choose something else. See, we would have missed out on tremendous blessings that God had for us. I really believe that. So God does give us a choice. Of course, that's part of how he works. What kind of opportunities and blessings are we talking about? Um, Obviously, I really believe that he has a newness of his spirit to release on us. If we want that. Um, We do want that, yeah. We do, by the way. (laughs) Side note, footnote. (laughs) You know... He has new job opportunities for people. I believe that. I believe he has new ministry opportunities for people. Now, I want you to know, this that I'm sharing, okay, I'm relaying it to you as God is sharing this, as I'm I'm preaching it to me, okay? Because this is something that, as I was preparing this, the Lord was like, this is for you, buddy. You know, he was like preaching this message to me. So I just want you to take it that way as I just want to encourage you as the Lord's trying to encourage me and beckon me. Now, um, here's the fine print. You know, everybody's gotten these things in the mail. You want a vacation to Hawaii. All expenses paid. Praise God, man. I want a vacation to Hawaii. All ex- then you look down at the bottom of the page. All expenses do not include airfare, hotel accommodations, or spending money. All expenses pay. <laughs> all right. Well, God does have tremendous blessings and opportunities. Okay. But see, here's the fine print at the bottom. Not that God's trying to trick us, but we need to be aware 
it will not be easy. All hell will break loose against us because hell does not want us to receive those things. Hell does not want us to make the right choices or choose the right things. But, get this, don't forget this part of the fine print, God will be with you. God will be with us. He's already given us the weapons of our warfare. Amen? Okay. Now, here's the battleground that I believe that we're embarking on. The battleground is our hearts and minds. Okay, because these things are right here across the threshold, but the devil wants to convince your mind that it's impossible, it won't work, don't do it, blah, 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 all these things, you know, that run through your mind. And then he wants to get in your heart and bring up things like disgruntledness and bitterness and disunity and all those things in your heart that will keep you from living from your heart, you know? Um and here's some of the tactics as I was looking at this. You know, division and disunity. A couple of weeks ago, the Lord was really speaking about that and helping us to overcome some things on that as we kind of came together as a fellowship, as a body. Um, distraction with minor things. You know, so often in life, we can major on the minors instead of majoring on the majors. Okay? And this happens all the time in church. You know, it's like... There's so much going on, and somebody's doing this, and somebody's doing that, and he's not doing this right, and that. You know, all these things are going on, which are all good things. And then people being people, you know, we just get messed up, and somebody gets their feelings hurt and all these things. Speaking about the church in that example. And I feel like the Lord is saying, you know what? Don't get distracted by the enemy's tactics of trying to make you major on the minor things. In the church, look at what I'm doing. Remember all those things over 10 years that I've done. And if you'll choose me and choose to look at me, I'm going to take you on. I'm going to take you to even greater and bigger things. Psychological despair and discouragement. Byron and I were talking about this the other day. Have you ever woken up in the morning and just felt despair? You know, you just don't look forward to the day. Everything is gloom and doom for some reason. And then you catch yourself and say, wait a second, my life's pretty good. <laughs> you know, as a, I mean, everything's okay. There's not any real reason to be discouraged or to think things aren't going well. Maybe there is, but sometimes there's not. And especially in those times, I think, you know, that's the enemy. The devil is just trying to come after my mind and hit me psychologically. The last one, spiritual insecurity. And I just kind of define this as a lack of confidence in God in you. You know, because when God wants to take you somewhere, obviously, like we said, all hell is going to come against you. And the devil wants to make you think, you can't do that. God's not really in you. Maybe he's in somebody else, but he's not in you. You know, that's not true. You know, we need to stand up against those tactics. So I want you to turn with me to, to the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 32. Numbers chapter 32. Now, as you're turning there, I just want to say this. The enemy's goal is to get you and I to settle for less than the best. The enemy's goal is to get you and I to settle for less than the best. And you know what? He's been doing this, I've realized, for a long time. <laughs> he knows how to get people to settle for less than what God has for us. All right. Numbers 32, verse 1. And, you know, 
to bring you up to speed here, the Israelites have been taking a few laps around the desert, and uh, Moses is still leading them, and they're coming up to the edge of the Jordan River here, and they're kind of looking into the promised land and thinking about crossing over. And uh, 32 1, it says, The Reubenites and Gadites, I'm reading from the NIV, by the way, for all you NKJVers, sorry about that. The Reubenites and Gadites, who had very large herds and flocks, saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for livestock. So they came to Moses and Eleazar the priests and to the leaders of the community and said, Adaroth, Debon, Jazer, Nimrosh, Heshbon, Elala, Sebam, Nebo, and beyond. The land the Lord subdued, that is, before the people of Israel, are suitable for livestock, and your servants have livestock. If we have found favor in your eyes, they said, let this land be given to your servants as our possession. Do not make us cross the Jordan. Moses said to the Gadites and Reubenites, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit here? Why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land the Lord has given them? You hear that? The land the Lord has given them. This is what your fathers did when I sent them from Kadesh Barnea to look over the land. Now, you know in movies how like the story's going along and then all of a sudden it'll flash back to like an earlier time period so that you can catch up to speed on what's going on. Okay, that's what I want to do here for just a second. Flip back with me to Numbers chapter 13. Numbers chapter 13, verse 27. Now remember, Moses just said, why do you discourage the Israelites from going over into the land? This is what your fathers did. Okay, so this is the previous generation in Numbers 13, verse 27. And it says, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large. We even saw descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites live in the Negev. The Hittites, Jebusites, and Amorites live in the hill country. And the Canaanites live near the sea and along the Jordan. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we can certainly do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, We can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. They said, The land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak. We seem like grasshoppers in our own eyes. And we look the same to them. Chapter 14. That night all the people of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron. And the whole assembly said to them, If only we had died in Egypt or in this desert. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. 
Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we pass through and explored is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he will lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and it will give to us and, and will give it to us. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land, because we will swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. But the whole assembly talked about stoning them. Then the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting to all the Israelites. The Lord said to Moses, How long will these people treat me with contempt? How long will they refuse to believe in me, in spite of all the miraculous signs I have performed among them? I will strike them down with a plague and destroy them, but I will make you into a nation greater and stronger than they. Moses said to the Lord, Then the Egyptians will hear about it. By your power you brought these people up from among them. And they will tell the inhabitants about this land. They have already heard that you, O Lord, are, are with these people and that you, O Lord, have been seen face to face. That your cloud stays over them and that you go before them in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. If you put these people to death all at one time, the nations who have heard this report about you will say, The Lord was not able to bring these people into the land he promised them on oath. So he slaughtered them in the desert. Now may the Lord's strength be displayed just as you have declared. The Lord is slow to anger, abounding in love and forgiving sin and rebellion yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished um let's see i'm sorry i lost, lost my place uh he punishes the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation in accordance with your great love forgive the sin of these people just as you have pardoned them from the time they left egypt until now the lord replied i have forgiven them as you asked nevertheless as surely as I live and as surely as the glory of the Lord fills the whole earth, not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times, not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to and his descendants will inherit it. Okay, I know that was kind of a lengthy passage, but I wanted to read that because I really believe that if we or you don't want to have it, do it, walk in it, then God will find somebody who will. You know, and I feel like that's one thing that he was kind of encouraging me with is that um, if I don't want the blessings that he has, if I don't want the ministry that he has, if I don't want the things that he has, and I want to settle for what I currently have, then he's going to find somebody who does, who will, who will go, who will do it, who will want it, who will have it. Now back to Numbers 32, just two verses there. This is back to the rest of the story there. It says, The Lord's anger burned against Israel, and he made them wander in the desert forty years, until the whole generation of those who had done evil in his sight was gone. And here you are, a brood of sinners, standing in the place of your fathers and making the Lord even more angry with Israel. Verse 15, If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all this people in the desert, and you will be the cause of their destruction. Now, it really struck me how these Gadites and Reubenites and half the tribe of Manasseh, how they came right up here 
And they said, you know what, is it okay? Like, this looks pretty good right here. Can we just stay here? And Mo was like, you guys blow me away. You mean to tell me you're going to get us all killed again because of you're not going to do what the Lord told us to do? And uh, finally they made an agreement that they would send their fighting men into the land, the promised land, and fight against the Canaanites and all the people that the Lord wanted them to go and fight against. And then after they had done that, they would return back. However, I just believe, I really believe in reading this, that they saw something in this current place that they were in that just looked good enough for them, but they didn't really want to go in and fight for what was best for them. You know, and out of that I was thinking, you know, there's several reasons here that the Gadites and the half-tribe Manasseh and the Reubenites settled, I think, for this land that they stayed in. And therefore, we can apply this to us. So why, what are the reasons that people settle for the less than what is best for them? Number one, what they currently have looks better. It says there in verse 1 that the Reubenites and Gadites saw that the lands of Jazer and Gilead were suitable for life. For livestock. And, you know, they were people that had livestock. So that's what looked good to them. Now, you know, my ministry, my job, my church, it's suitable for me. Why should I want something different? Why should we go on from where we're at right now? I mean, we've got a nice place. We're comfortable. We've got a good pastor. We've got some good music going on. You know, there's quite a few people coming to the church. I mean, what else do we need? You know? <laughs> Absolutely. The second thing, it's risky. It's risky. Now, you know, back in the previous generation, they said, yeah, it, the land does flow with milk and honey, but the people who live there are powerful and the, the cities are fortified and very large. You know, where we're going, where God wants to take us, it's risky. You know, it's risky. Yeah, we could lose everything. We could go in here and, you know, just really be in trouble. I remember Byron telling me one time that when we moved to Parker Avenue, at some points it felt like, okay, we're either moving over here to die as a church or, Lord, you're going to have to show up, you know, and praise God, he's faithful. And I know he'll be faithful with the eyes of faith as we go on into a new place. But we have to realize, again, that the devil doesn't want us to go there. And it is going to be a risky place that we're going to go to. Now, whenever you start listing reasons why you can't have or do what God has given you, caution. That's the enemy, not God, trying to tell you why you can't have something that he's told you he wants to give you. I do believe God has called me to do this, but I do believe God wants me to have this, but I do believe God wants to do a new thing in our church, but on and on and on. Everybody's probably had those mind games go through your head. Now, I learned this, I think, in CSM, just to give them a big plug there, but beware of the fear of the three F's. Here they are, the fear of failure. Nobody wants to fail. Everybody wants to be a success in life. 
But you know what? I'm learning if we never step out there and take that risk, we're really not going to accomplish a whole lot. Two, the fear of finances. I just don't have the money, God. I know you're calling me to do this. I don't have the money. You know, that's always a big problem. And third, the fear of the future. What is the future going to hold for me? If we go to a new place as a church, Lord, what are we, you know, what's it going to be like? If, if I move there, Lord, what are my children going to think? Or how is my family going to do? Or if I step out in this, Lord, you know, how is it going to happen? The fear of the future. I feel like the Lord wants to give us, as Byron has preached before, the faith of God. The faith of God, that we can see things like God sees them and not by our own fears of these things. Now, the third reason that people settle for less than God's best is because it's costly. You know, it's very costly. And uh, again, in, in chapter 13, I'm sorry, back to the current one the Gadites and Reubenites, Moses said to them, Shall your countrymen go to war while you sit there? And they ended up going to war because he asked them to. But there was this, I believe there was this fear in them. There was this kind of hesitancy because, you know what, we could chill here for a while and we'll be fine because it's a great place for pasture and everything. But if we grow over there, we're going to have to fight, you know. So we can stay here where we're at. But if we move on, we're going to have to fight. We're going to have to fight. Now, um, war is costly. Just ask Jesse Falda. You know, it's a costly price to pay. Ask our uh, Treasury Department. (laughs) War costs a lot. You know, Um, freedom isn't free. That's just the truth. It's free in Christ. But there's something for, for us to fight for. The enemy is not going to stand by unopposed. This battle, again, will require the faith of God. You know, and the Lord's really been speaking to me a lot recently about the battle and the war and the battleground that we're facing. And it's like, not in a fearful sense of war, but in rise up, oh, you men and women of valor. Take up the weapons of your warfare. Stand up against the enemy. Take what the Lord has given you. Enter into the rest. Enter into the land that I promised you. You know, and it, sometimes we're like Gideon. You know, we're just sitting down there kind of hiding out from the Midianites or whoever was, was attacking or whatever at that time. Just hiding out, you know. And the angel comes and is like, Raise up, you mighty man of valor. And he's like, Who, me? What you talking about? <laughs> he wasn't feeling like any mighty man of valor, you know, but God saw that in him, you know, and God sees that in you. He sees that in me. He sees that in us is that we have what it takes to go on because he is in us. That's where we need the faith of God to go on. Okay. Now, remember, I, I just remember in all these things, you know, people don't settle for less than what's best for them because it it looks what they've got looks better. It's risky and it's costly. Now remember Abraham and the whole story about Hagar and he took his wife's maidservant as a wife and had a child through her. Why? Because ultimately he lost trust 
and what God told him would happen. That he would have a son, that he would be the father of many nations, and that this son that he had through his wife Sarah would be his descendants and continue the line through. But he stepped out of that and did things on his own strength. And what happened? He had Ishmael. And to this day, you know, there's a battle raging between the descendants of Ishmael, which are the Arabs, the Palestinians, and the descendants of Isaac, who are the Jews. You know, and it's like he saw those three things as costly as, you know, okay, I've got somebody here that can carry on my line. And he didn't have the faith of God at that point. But the good news is the Lord is always redemptive. You know, he's always willing. As it said in that, he's slow to anger and abounds in mercy. He's compassionate. You know, so I know if you're like me, we've we've messed up enough times to know that, well, we'll just keep going and do what God's called me to do. And maybe I won't have to take a lap around the desert this time, you know. So. In conclusion. If you turn away from following him, he will again leave all the people in the desert and you will be the cause of their destruction. That's what he told them in 32, first, chapter 32, 15. The Lord gave us a prophecy on a Friday night a few weeks ago, and I hope I quoted this right. But it was something to the effect of, out of the box, out of the way, get it right, or I'll carry you away. You know, and I just wanted to encourage us with this, that I feel like the Lord does have us to get out of the box, Take ourselves out of the way, our pride, our agendas, and step into the newness of what he's given us. Because he does have some place for it to take us. Now, do you remember a few weeks ago when we stood up and we said as a church, we will follow you, God. Jim came up here and he said, did you hear that? He said, you're going to go to a new place. Now, I don't want to hear all the grumbling when he takes us there, you know, all those things. And, and most of us, I think everybody pretty much stood up and we said, yes, Lord, we'll go there. We will follow you. We'll go to a new, new place, a new place. And I just feel like if we don't do it, the Lord will allow a sort of spiritual destruction to some extent anyway on our lives in this church to an extent. And, uh, you know, he's gracious and merciful, you know, and uh, he's going to love us. He's going to love you. He's going to be with us. But I feel like he really has a place for us 